Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. This episode is brought to you by the 5-Day Money Challenge. Get your stuff together with money and increase your confidence in just five days. Save your seat at whitneyhanson.com slash money challenge and join in on the fun. Hello and welcome to the Money Nerds Podcast, where owning a calculator, budgeting your money, and having a net worth is actually cool. I'm your host, Whitney Hansen, and each week I'll be chatting with inspiring people to learn their secrets to financial success. Now let's dive into the show. Hey, hey, coming at you solo today with another great episode. Hopefully <laughs> we'll see. I'm, I'm teasing. This is like terrible. This is what not to do when you have a podcast, how not to start your podcast. I am super excited to talk about this topic today. So I talk a lot about how to pay off debt, how to, you know, change your mindset around debt, that kind of stuff. But I rarely talk about the other side of debt, which is once you hit that, how do you maintain sustainable results? So today I'm going to break down some of the really important steps and the, the very strategic things I've done to stay out of debt. And in fact, this has helped me stay out of debt for over nine years now. Literally over nine years, I have been completely debt-free, excluding my mortgage and intend on always being that way. So let's go ahead and dive in. I put together some steps that I think will help you if you're onto that next phase of like, okay, I've paid off my debt. Now what? This is how you can maintain that progress so that you don't go back to that same place. So first and foremost, I have to just share this because it's important. Part of the reason I've been able to stay debt-free is because of luck. Like I'm really dead serious. I hate to say that. I work very, very hard. I created a lot of systems and plans and I save money and I do all of that stuff. But partially I've been very lucky I have not had anything medically serious. I mean, I had my appendix taken out, which did cost some money, but that's where my emergency fund came in. But as a whole, I have been incredibly lucky. Life has not always treated me well, but in this way, it has has been, I mean, it worked out. So I have to say that because a lot of our financial stuff really does sometimes come down to luck. And I hate to say that because luck is so unquantifiable. It's one of those things that you can't really control if how life is going to kick. You really can't. But I do have to recognize that I have been lucky and I do come from a place of privilege because 
yes, I work hard, but I am still a very privileged person. And I have no problem admitting to that. I know that's the case. I have a partner who is incredibly supportive. Tony's like literally the best. He makes great income now. He didn't always like there was definitely a while where I was for sure the breadwinner and by a lot. And it was, it was stressful, but at the end of the day, it's like, we do have two incomes. We do, we don't combine our money, but it still is a factor. It still does have an impact. So I just have to recognize that because I want you to know that if maybe you were debt free and all of a sudden you had a huge medical emergency, or, I mean, I don't know, maybe you didn't have your emergency fund in place and you had a relative get sick and you chose to take out credit card debt to go visit your relative. I cannot shame you for that. I literally cannot shame you whatsoever. We all have very different situations, but I do have to be upfront and let you know that I do come from a place of luck. I've had life treat me fairly well. And at the end of the day, I do come from a place of privilege. I, I mean, not saying I'm a trust fund baby by no means. And you guys know, I grew up in a single family household where we slept on the floor for a period of time. But I only share that to let you know that like, I, I really did not come from a trust fund and I didn't have a ton of financial support from my parents. That just was out of the question. But I also wanted to let you know that that's not in my eyes, what privilege is. Um, I might need to do an episode on privilege at some point, but uh, I have been lucky. So just saying that before we dive into some of the more practical, tangible tips that you can apply to your own life. All right. So let's go ahead and dive into the things that we can control. And these are the steps that I personally have taken that have helped me stay debt free for nine years. First and foremost, I had that line in the sand moment. I remember it very clearly. When I paid off my student debt, I had $30,000 of debt and I paid it all off in 10 months through a lot of hard work and a lot of sacrifice. I'm not going to lie. It it was a lot of work. I would do it again in a second. But when I did this, when I had this line in the sand moment, I promised myself I was in my like early twenties, almost 22 years old ish. Um, I remember holding myself accountable and saying, Whitney, never again, you are never going back to this place. You're never going to let yourself get to this point where you feel trapped or you feel like you don't have a choice or that your money isn't yours. I never wanted to feel that again. So I had that line in the sand moment where I said, never again, is this going to happen? And part of that included a huge mindset shift. I started to change my mindset on debt for my own life. I started to say debt for me is not an option. It's just not something I'm willing to entertain. And it's worked really, really well so far. Like, I mean, I say so far, cause again, luck, like it, it does sometimes uh, like, I mean, I don't know if I had a medical emergency, I, I definitely wouldn't feel guilty about having some medical debt ever. Like I, I really wouldn't, especially if it came down to saving my life. But that mindset shift of the debt that I could control, I would never do again. Never. And so that was really difficult because I remember at one time specifically, I was ready to go off to college again. <laughs> so I was looking into my master's in business. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And I had paid off all my debt from undergrad. And I had this like moment where I had to figure out what the heck was I going to do? How was I going to pay for my college? What was I going to do to fund this? And so I remember taking out a piece of paper and writing down all of the different options for paying for grad school. I wrote down things like getting a job where they do tuition reimbursement. I wrote down cash flowing it, just saving up the money and paying for it semester after semester. I wrote down going to the military and joining the military and, and serving our country. I wrote down a lot of different things, uh, grants, being a graduate assistant where you work for university and they pay for your late, like they give you a stipend and they also cover the cost of your tuition. I wrote down every single option I could think of. 
And it wasn't until I allowed myself to be a little bit more creative with how I viewed this and ways to pay for college that that's when I realized I could go work for a university. If I worked for a university in a full-time position, I could receive a tuition discount, which meant I could go back to school for five bucks per credit. Now, this was at Boise State. I don't know if it's still the same rules. Like, I I have no idea. I haven't looked into it for a little while. But at that moment, that was how I decided I was going to pay for my college degree. That's how I was going to go to graduate school for a fraction of the cost. And frankly, it allowed me to cash flow. It was $472. I had a couple late fees in there. I'm going to be real honest. But that's how I was able to do that. And I don't say that that was necessarily from a place of luck. I think there was a lot of things that led me to that direction. And it was kind of lucky in some ways, as life usually is for most people. If you open your eyes, sometimes you can see more opportunities. Seems like a common sense thing to say. But if you're not looking for those opportunities, you're never going to see them. And that was how my higher education came about. I started to learn that when I was willing to say, what is the other way? I wasn't willing to entertain debt at all. Not for my graduate studies. I just, I wasn't. That was just something that was important to me. When I had that line in the sand moment and I said, never again, I literally meant never again. And that has served me well. It allowed me to see more opportunities. It allowed me to fund my college degree like a different way, more creatively, and more importantly, more financially responsibly. It was a lot of work. I didn't have kids. I still don't have kids. I was going to say, I don't have kids at the time. But I was able to work full-time, 40 hours a week. And then nights, I did a part-time MBA program. So every single evening, I was in school. In summers, I was in school. It was a three-year program. It took a while. I would do it again, though. Because what I learned is that I wanted that education because I thought it was going to be leading to the next opportunity in life. But more than anything, I didn't want to have that debt carried around for a degree that I didn't work in public accounting anymore. That was my undergrad. And I knew that that wasn't going to be for me anymore. And so I didn't want that same thing to happen with my master's degree. I didn't want to feel like, oh, I went to school for this, but actually I don't really love it. This is not for me. I wanted that education. So that was one of the things that was really important to me, which leads me to my next thing that has helped me stay debt free truly. And that is getting very clear on my values. Now, values are interesting because they change over time. What my values are today might be very different than what my values are five years from now. I hope they don't change that much. I think they're probably pretty pretty set in stone for the most part, but I'm open to them changing. So here are my current values. My top values for my own life is health, adventure, and financial security. These three things are the most important to me. At the end of the day, every financial decision I make, I try to keep in line with these three values. Does it make me healthier? Does it bring me a sense of adventure? And ultimately, does it cost me my financial security? If it does, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in giving up my financial security. I worked really, really hard for that. I worked way too hard to go back to a place of feeling like I'm always paycheck to paycheck. I don't like that feeling for my own life. It stresses me out. That sense of adventure, that's so critical for me. But I've also learned that my sense of adventure doesn't have to come at the expense of my financial security. I can still have a great time sitting on my backyard patio, watching the sunset with a glass of wine. That can bring me, I'm really not just saying this, it can bring me as much joy 
as going on a really cool vacation. And I love vacations, but what I can say is some of the happiest moments and the happiest memories of my life was a summer where I didn't travel at all. All I did was sit on my back patio and watch sunset every single night. That is still to this day, one of my most important, most cherished memories was something that simple. And so I'm aware of that. I'm aware that my value for adventure doesn't have to like cost a lot of money. It doesn't have to do that. I'm also very aware that my value for health is so important to me. I've gained weight. When I launched my business, I actually gained, whew, I, I seriously, I think it was like 20, 25 pounds. Um, I'm embarrassed to say it's still there, but, <laughs> but I hide it really well sometimes. At least I try to, I don't know. Anyway, all kidding aside, that value for health is something that I have to go back to often because what I find is a lot of times our values conflict with the way we're spending. We say things are important to us, yet we don't do that with our actions. Our actions are different. There's some disconnect and that's where we get some tension in our finances. So for me, when I part of staying debt-free is getting very clear on those values so that I can start to spend on things that do bring me joy, that I know make a difference, that help me sleep better at night instead of spending and trying to chase some value that's not really important to me, but I say is important. I don't know. So here's an example of this. For me, I said health is a big value for me. That's something I care about. If I look at my spending and I notice that I am going out to eat a lot or I'm drinking, maybe I'm going to wineries for wine and charcuterie boards, like whatever the heck it might be. I enjoy that. But if I'm doing that too often, that's a direct conflict with my value for health. Now, everybody's values are a little bit open for interpretation, but for me personally, I'm not a binge drinker. I don't like to drink, like literally I drink probably once a quarter. It, people are surprised about that because I talk about drinking wine on my patio often, but I don't actually do that. It's usually tea or coffee. That's a different story. So anyway, at the end of the day, if I'm looking at my spending and I'm seeing something that's directly challenging, what I said was important to me, I will question it. And more than anything, I will cut it out. I know this seems like common sense, but I see so often people will spend on things that are not in line with their values. And when you're confused on your values, that's when you start to get back into this really bad trap sometimes. And a lot of people who do go back into debt trying to find their values or thinking they're spending within their values when really they're not. Okay, the third thing that has kept me debt-free for over nine years, this is the most important thing hands down the most important thing. I have been very intentional about the big three for my budget. The big three is your housing, your transportation, and your food costs. Now I made very tough decisions that went against every emotional being of me. I wanted so badly to have a bigger, better home. I wanted so badly to have a nicer car. I wanted so badly to be able to just spend money on whatever foods I want and never have to worry about that stuff. These are things that I wanted, but again, these things that I said I wanted were in direct conflict to my financial security and definitely cost my sense of adventure. So I have been very, very good about avoiding lifestyle inflation. This is key. If you want to stay debt-free or you want to better your financial life, you have to avoid that lifestyle inflation. So here's what this practically looks like for me. I live in the same house. I bought a house when I was 19. This talks about luck, right? Like market 2008, economy started to crash. I purchased my first home when I was 19. 
Now, this is awesome, but this was what, when I bought this house, I told myself, this is a starter home. I'm not going to live here for more than five years. This is just what I told myself. I don't know where I got, I mean, honestly, society is where I probably got this idea of like, oh, you should always be upgrading your life in some way. It's a sign of adulting. And ultimately, when I started to question that is when I really realized that I could buy a bigger home. I could buy a nicer place. I could do that. I could financially afford it. But at what expense? That's what lifestyle inflation is all about. It's increasing your lifestyle when your income increases and therefore being in the exact same situation with nicer things, but usually more debt. And so I decided to live in the same house. So today I'm almost 32. My birthday's in July. This is kind of exciting. So I'm almost 32 years old. I still live in the same house that I bought when I was 19. I fixed it up over time. I've learned some different ways and stuff to make it a little bit more exciting for me and to make it a place that I truly feel comfortable in. But ultimately, I started to really understand that increasing my house doesn't really do much. It doesn't do much for me. Would it be nice? Sure. I'd love to have a three-car garage. I'd love to be on a house on the lake. That'd be, that actually would be really cool or on the beach. But what is more important to me is financial security. And instead of spending that money on a bigger home, I personally have decided to save that money and build up cash flow, build up some assets that generate income. So if and when I choose to have kids or expand my family or whatever the heck I want to do, I don't have to work more. I can actually push pause a little bit. I can slow down. My spouse can slow down. We can spend more time with our kids or have that option to. This is something that's important to me. And so I wanted to set up that foundation and really control living for other people, which to me, buying a bigger house, it felt like I was living for other people. My house is enough. I have enough. I am enough. I don't need to spend to prove that. And so that was something I had to really grapple with. And it was hard. I'm not going to lie. It's really hard because I'm definitely a house person. But I that's one of the biggest factors to help me stay debt free is living in that same house. I should also note that I don't expect to live in the same house forever. I'm doing it until I'm ready and I have the cash flow. I'm being patient with my financial life. I'm not trying to rush into decisions anymore. That came from maturity, honestly, but it has been super, super impactful. Now, I mentioned the next of the big three was transportation. I drive old cars. I am such a fan of driving old cars. Now, hear me out. I like nice things. I like nice cars. I sometimes wish I had a nicer car. I mean, I mean I'm only human. I do. Sometimes I'm like, oh man, my car's so old. I wish I had a nicer car. But again, at what expense does that come from? So what I personally decided to do, I bought a Toyota Celica in 2007. 2007, I bought my Toyota Celica. Now I did finance it. It was a $7,500 car. So I financed it and paid it off in one year. I was super young. I was like 18 or 19 years old and decided I was just going to do that. The car was a great car. It was about six years old when I purchased it. Actually, that would be almost seven years old when I purchased it. And I decided to just drive it. I was just going to drive it for a long time. And to give you context, I was the type of person that when I was an undergrad, I told myself I was going to reward myself when I graduated college by buying a brand new Camaro. (laughs) I'm a Camaro person. I don't know why. This is the car I wanted at that time. I just said I was going to buy a brand new Camaro. I since have said that I don't want a Camaro. If you have one, I'm sorry. They're beautiful cars. It's just not for me. But that's one of the things that I, just to give you context on my mindset, that's what my mindset was. 
And so driving the same Toyota Celica for years was very difficult because I wanted a better car. I did. I wanted that so bad. I grew up in a family that was very much a car family where my dad had, I wish I was kidding, at one point, like 30 something cars. Not all were running, <laughs> but this is my this is how I grew up. So I grew up knowing that you should always have multiple cars and even a backup car in case your car breaks down. Like it's it, there's a lot to uncover there. So we're not going to do that today. But that's the mindset I came from. So for me, driving that same Toyota Celica was really difficult because it was an older car. It was starting to just, it looked older. Like I started to feel like I deserve something better. Like I should be showing my money somehow. And I drove that car for a long time. I am now, again, 32 years old. Four years ago, four years ago, almost, I purchased a 2004 Nissan Murano. This car is my life. I freaking love it. I paid $6,500. That was like fees. So the car itself was $5,700. And then with taxes and when you have to pay sales tax, you know, that's not fun. But that's how much I paid for my, my current car. Here's the cool thing. Over the time that I was driving that Toyota Celica, it was paid off. I was saving a little bit of money. Now, it wasn't always a ton. It was like 50 bucks here and there. But I started just to throw in a savings account because I knew at some point I was going to want a different car. And when I decided that my lifestyle for adventure, my value for adventure was actually more road trips and camping and hiking, I wanted an SUV. That was something that was super important to me. I couldn't take my Toyota Celica mobbing in the mountains. <laughs> I mean, not well. So I, I wanted to buy an SUV. I had enough money that I was able to pay for my Nissan Murano in cash. This is the crazy thing. Here's a crazy stat. This is a little dated. It's from 2012. So it's definitely dated. But from what I've seen, people are actually buying cars more frequently. They're taking on more car debt today than they were even then. But the automakers count on Americans to buy on average a new car or truck every three to four years, every three to four years. That's nuts to me. And I also read another stat. I don't know how true it is, but it was saying that the average person expects to upgrade their car within 18 months. Now, again, this comes down to your values, but what I know for sure as a financial coach and as being in the financial industry now, if you can save money on the big three, you're usually going to be okay financially. And so that was something that I decided and I really took note of that. I, I learned that I don't want to live paycheck to paycheck. I don't want to be broke. I don't want to feel that way. I don't want to feel like money's hard to come by and that it's tight all the time. Like that's, that doesn't make me see, I mean, I don't, it doesn't sit well with me. It hurts my soul. And so I do know if you can save money on those big three, then you're going to set yourself up for a better chance of success financially. So that's just another thing that I've done. I drive older cars. I'm not embarrassed about it. I don't care. I don't find that they're unreliable. I've had really, really great luck with cars. Like it's been wonderful. I think if you maintain it and you do your research when you buy it, you're probably going to be okay. We have really been conditioned though that a older car is unreliable and that's really not the case. In fact, that's been the exact opposite for me. So that's one of the ways that I have saved money with 
the big three. The last of the big three is actually comes from when I used to do bodybuilding competitions. When you're doing a bodybuilding competition, you have to be incredibly strict with your diet, like extreme. I would measure out all of my coffee creamer. I would weigh all of my meats. I would meal prep every single Sunday. Like this has just been conditioned in me from years of bodybuilding. And one of the things that I still do to this day when I'm being good, it's not always perfect, but for, I would say 80 to 90% of the time I meal prep every single week, even today. And I still work from home. I still meal prep because it matters. It matters a lot. And my meal prep is super simple. When I have a plan, I stick with my plan. I go buy my groceries and I do it. That does not mean that I don't occasionally go to the grocery store and buy extra crap that I didn't really need. I've been on a chips and guacamole kick lately. Oh, Lordy, it is so good, but it is not part of my my meal plan. And I still do that occasionally. I'm not perfect by any means, but I will say by meal prepping and being intentional for the most part with what I eat, it has saved me a ton of money. To give you some context, Tony and I spend less than $300 a month for groceries for both of us. And we both eat a lot. I mean, remember bodybuilder diets, like we still eat a lot of food and it's been really helpful. Like that meal prepping, that intentionality there. I think it's like a little bit of intentionality goes a long way when it comes to the big three and being very, very clear that if you increase your lifestyle in some way, you are probably directly hurting something at that expense. And that's for you to determine if it's worth it for me it would come at the expense of adventure, being able to travel and my financial security. So it wasn't important to me. So that's how I have kept my costs low and avoided that lifestyle inflation. Okay. The next thing that has helped me stay debt-free for nine years is kind of a weird one, but it has been, I guess you could say increasing my income. That's for sure been helpful. It's helped me save more money. It hasn't helped change my costs at all. In fact, my cost of living has not changed since I paid off my debt within reason, of course, it's like groceries go up in cost and that kind of stuff. But my lifestyle has not changed since I paid off debt. In fact, the only thing that's different is I travel a little bit more and I'm a lot more intentional with my spending. I don't spend very much money on like clothes and makeup and like, that's not important to me. It used to be, but it's not anymore because I realized that it just doesn't matter. But one thing that has helped tremendously is side hustling. I have stayed debt-free because I still side hustle. I'm an adjunct professor. That's a side hustle for me. I do Instacart. I flip furniture. These are all side hustles for me. Now, why does this matter? Because when you side hustle, you start to understand that money is not something that should be treated like it's not a big deal. Let me give you an example of this. When I start to do Instacart, I start to see the value of my dollar. As an entrepreneur, it's a little bit different. Sometimes it's hard to remember that. But when you're trading your time for money, it really reminds you that money at the end of the day is just a tool. It's a tool to better your life. Now, bettering your life is subjective. That depends on what's better for you. But side hustling has helped me really stay in that perspective of like, yo, don't blow all your money. Like you might do an Instacart delivery that takes you an hour and a half and you make $20 or $24. Like it really retrains me to respect money a lot more. And it helps me. I don't know. Personally, I just think side hustling is fun and it helps me reach more of my financial goals too. So it's always a little extra income. Do I need to financially do it? Absolutely not. In fact, sometimes I've been told that it's actually taking away from, you know, more free time and things that I could be putting that time into my business and get a huge return, but I enjoy it. I really do. I think it's kind of fun. 
And more than anything too, I also do it to show people what's possible and to encourage people that, yo, you can side hustle and you don't necessarily have to rely on that money. Um, but there's no shame. Like I, I happily side hustle. So that's another thing that I do attribute to being debt free for nine years is I have that side hustle money that goes directly towards real estate or it goes towards travel. Those are just like the two things. So very rarely does it come from my business income. It usually comes from my side hustle income is how I pay for those things. Okay, the last thing that has helped me stay debt-free for over nine years is truly a perspective shift. This is everything. I have already mentioned multiple times, I used to chase happiness and chase joy in stuff. I did. I would buy clothes thinking it would make me feel better when I felt insecure about my body. I would go out to eat when I would want to celebrate. I would go buy drinks if I had a crappy day at work. I would spend money because I thought that was going to bring me some type of temporary happiness. When I started to get clear and find that stuff doesn't really bring you joy, because if stuff brought you joy, you'd be happy. And I can look around my room and see stuff everywhere, and I wasn't happier. And so I started to realize that maybe there's not something to be said in chasing stuff. Maybe that bigger house wouldn't actually bring me happiness. Maybe that nicer car wouldn't bring me more happiness. It'd be cool in the moment. I would enjoy it. But would it bring me true happiness and peace inside of me? And I don't have to tell you this. There's stats. There's research. There's so much stuff out there that tells us that's not the case. True joy does not come from buying things. It comes from experiences. But even experiences don't have to cost money. It doesn't always have to come at the expense of your financial goals. And when I started to have that perspective shift is when I started to realize that, man, I was looking for happiness in every wrong place. I really was. And it was costing me a lot more than just the financial piece. It was costing me this like vicious cycle of constantly thinking I have to get the latest and greatest to feel good. And that's not true. I can feel just as good, again, sitting on my backyard grass in a chair, staring at the sunset. I can feel great about that. That, to me, is true happiness, is being content with little. When you can be content and happy with very, very little in your life, you win. And it doesn't have to cost you debt and peace of mind in order to find that happiness. So the other perspective shift that has been really helpful for me is as a financial coach, I'm very, very blessed. I absolutely love the work that I do. It's so much fun. Truly the best career you could ever have. I, I mean that with all of my heart. But as a financial coach, I see all kinds of different financial patterns and behaviors and you know costs of living. Like I see it globally. And it's fascinating to me because I can see how people's emotions play a factor in their financial success or lack thereof. It's fascinating. But I also can see how bad life can kick when you least expect it, how really amazing people have really shitty things happen to them sometimes, and we have no control over that. We think we're safe until we're not. And I see this because I've, I've seen really incredible people that were making phenomenal prog progress on their debt, and all of a sudden they had a loved one that died, and now their income dropped because they wanted to grieve or they didn't have enough, you know, money and they had to take out debt. Like I know life is not perfect and I see it, but I can also see that we can prepare for that stuff as much as we possibly can and we should. 
And that's the thing is I think that perspective shift is I am maybe to a fault, always preparing for the worst case scenario and praying to God it never happens. I am always preparing. And here's the thing, that perspective shift of always preparing and always knowing that life can get really ugly really fast if you don't pay attention to this stuff has served me really well. It's something that I'm blessed in the work that I do to see this stuff and to see how quickly things can go bad for people. It's a blessing and a curse. It does make me over-prepare in a lot of ways. But again, I don't feel like I'm giving up anything by over-preparing for the worst case scenario. Like it, it doesn't come at the expense of anything for me because I still spend money on things that are important to me. And I also know I don't have to spend money to be happy. It's such a freeing thing. And honestly, if I could say everything in one thing that has really helped me, it's understanding that concept. Happiness doesn't come from stuff. Buying that bigger house does not make you happier. Having the nicer car does not make you happier. Spending thousands of dollars on a trip is not going to make you happier. Happiness comes from inside of you. Like woo woo. I know we're getting a little crazy right now. But it really does. And when I started to truly understand that, not just be able to repeat it and say, yeah, this is true. When I truly internalize that, that changed everything for my finances. And I think it will for you too. So how I've stayed debt free for nine years, it's all of those things that I detailed out. That truly is how I've been able to do it. Yes, I've been lucky. Yes, I come from a place of privilege. I will never deny that whatsoever. But I also work incredibly hard and make very financially smart decisions today to take care of future Whitney. I want future Whitney to be covered. I don't want her to be stressed out. I've been stressed out before. I don't want to be there again. And I look back on past Whitney and I say, thank you so much for taking care of me today, for making my life today so much easier because you are willing to do the crappy work before. That to me is 100% how I've stayed debt-free for nine years. I hope it's helpful more than anything. I hope you had a couple aha moments when I was sharing my, my stories. Everyone's so different. Don't beat yourself up. If you did have to go back into debt because life kicked you really hard, don't beat yourself up about that. It happens. It totally happens. Nobody is perfect and life is very unpredictable, but do the best that you can to prevent that from happening again by really boosting up your financial savings and doing the best that you can to keep your lifestyle to a minimum, at least until you find your financial footing. Then you can start to increase your lifestyle and it's not going to come at the expense of your financial security. I hope this episode has been helpful. If you think it can help even one person, send them the link to this episode and let them listen to it. I truly hope that it it does inspire somebody to keep going to see that there's a bigger picture to all of this debt stuff. And it's more about taking back control of your life and putting yourself in a good financial situation where you're not vulnerable to life all the time. It does make a big difference. And I know that these steps do work and they do help because I've seen it in my own life and I've seen it for coaching clients too. All right. That is it for today. I hope you are having a phenomenal Wednesday. I love you. And I will chat with you next week for another episode of the Money Nerds Podcast.
This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.